Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. And we will make America great again. Well, hi, friends. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here, director of Priests for Life. Listen, this is the first time that we're able to chat here on this uh, Thursday night about the elections uh, results from Tuesday night. There is no reason to panic. There is no reason for discouragement whatsoever. It wasn't a good uh, uh, night, but it wasn't a disaster either. Uh, we were going to look a little bit at that. And, uh, you know, brothers and sisters, uh, it's important to delve into details. One of the things we always have to keep in mind and we look at this, of course, also from our of this perspective of our of our faith. But you know, initial impressions, uh, you know, are usually wrong in some way or another, and usually have to get revised when we look deeper into uh, the way things actually turned out. And I've seen this now so many times with election cycles that you know, the more you dig into the details, you know, the more uh, the more encouraged you can be. We are at a critical moment for America. The elections. Uh, of the other night um, uh, have a lot of, of, of alarm bells attached to them. But my goodness, um, we've got to, first of all, remind ourselves of the bigger, the bigger picture here. And secondly, we've got to uh, get down and get into the habit of going into the details before we draw uh, big, broad conclusions. So let's start with the Word of God. Looking at Romans 12, uh, I want to read starting in verse uh, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with the affection of brothers. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. He whom you serve is the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient under trial. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Let us pray. Father, we do rejoice in hope because you, Lord God, have already won the victory over evil in our midst. You have won the victory over the culture of death, over violence, including the violence of abortion. You have won the victory over despair and, and hatred. You have won the victory over tyranny, servitude, slavery of every kind. Lord God, you have won the victory over falsehood, and you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. 
The victory over evil has already been won. We are not just working for victory. We are working from victory. Victory is our starting point. We who are followers of Jesus Christ claim a victory already won over falsehood, over sin, and over death. Father, your Son Jesus Christ came to set the oppressed free. We claim victory over tyranny. Lord God, may we, knowing that these victories have already been accomplished in Christ, always rejoice in hope, and then may we have the strength to take those victories and proclaim them, celebrate them, serve them, apply them to every sector of our society, its laws and policies. We pray for perseverance in this mission, and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And and you know, and that is that is the 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 wide perspective. I'm going to talk about the elections in general, and I want to speak specifically about the abortion issue because we had that important amendment in Ohio about which we've been talking and praying. Um, and all of this has to be understood in the wider context of our Christian life, just as we just prayed. Victory has been won in Christ. Remember, we follow a Lord, someone we proclaim to be almighty and the judge of the universe, who was crucified. He was crucified. And some people lose their perspective if they lose an election. or, or uh, He was crucified. And we... Imagine how the apostles felt when that happened. I mean, they had seen him walk on water. They had seen him multiply the bread and the fish. They had seen him raise Lazarus from the tomb. How could he be, how could he be crucified and laid in the tomb? But then he rose. Christianity is exhibit A above all others of the reason to have hope in the midst of of darkness and defeat, the reason to stand before the forces that oppose you, even if they seem stronger, and to defiantly say, you have been overcome already in Christ. Is this not what our Christian faith gives us? That powerful stance of victory, even before the battle begins. It's a real battle. It has real consequences. We really have to fight not a pretend battle. It's a real battle, the ultimate outcome of which has already been determined. Sometimes it's hard to keep both those ideas in our mind at the same time. This is not the same as not facing reality. It means facing the fullness of the reality. Some people deny reality. That's not what we're talking about here. You look at things as they actually are. You let yourself feel the disappointment that comes with when things don't go the right way with elections. But brothers and sisters, then you open your eyes to the fullness of the reality, which is that, yes, there's a push and a pull in every movement. When we get to the abortion part of this, I want to talk to you about some of the dark moments that we, uh, uh, many of us are, are, have been in this long enough to remember having lived through. Otherwise, we at least learn about them from history. But let's, let's take a broad perspective on the elections themselves. First of all, it's always dangerous to project what happens in an odd-numbered election year like 2023 
uh, it's always dangerous to take the results and project them onto what's going to happen in 2024 for obvious reasons. First of all, it's always low turnout elections. Now, we're trying to change that. As you know, I've been saying every election, every year is an election year and every election is important. We bring attention to even the smallest of elections. We urge people to get involved in even the most local of elections. Every election is important. But the fact of the matter is you don't have anywhere near the turnout that you have in a presidential election year. So there's a big, big gap between those who turned out this time and those who are going to turn out next year. Moreover, you don't have it, it's very tricky to try to uh, predict the political future of one or another party when the person who's the leader of the party isn't on the ticket, isn't on the ballot. The top of the party, in the case of the deluded, uh, destructive uh, Democrats, uh, Biden, uh, the failed incompetent, uh, quote unquote, president. And then you've got President Trump on the top of the, uh, the Republican ticket. The top of the ticket wasn't there. And there's a lot of voters that are going to be motivated positively or negatively by who's on the top of the ticket, who's actually on the ballot, who do they actually get to vote for. And then once they come out to vote for or against that person, that can have implications and often will have implications for the rest of the names on the ballot. So again, don't draw so so too easy conclusions about, oh, well, this is going to prefigure what's going to happen in 2024. Whether you're talking about the overall fate of Republican or Democrat candidates, or whether you're talking about the abortion issue, which, as I say, we'll get to in a moment. But overall, there's no reason to panic. Let's look at some of the specifics. All right, so we went into these... Um, 2023 elections, pointing out to you that we had um, three key governor's races, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Kentucky, right? We made this clear right from the beginning. Friends, we won two out of three. And the one that we didn't want win, it was an incumbent who was very popular, even though it was in the state of Kentucky. He's a popular incumbent. Is the advantages of incumbency and popularity? Did that indicate a shift of the of the Kentucky electorate from red to blue? Well, look at how all the other races went. The Republicans swept the other races. The state attorney general's race. The secretary of state race. The state treasurer race. The agriculture commissioner. The auditor of public accounts. All of these were won in Kentucky Tuesday night by the Republicans by big margins. So it's not that Kentucky all of a sudden has turned blue. It's not that the Democrats took over. It's that a popular incumbent governor won the race. Okay, so we got two out of three. Remember, two out of three. Now in Mississippi, the governor was reelected, Republican governor, Tate Reeves. And so we had two incumbents reelected, and then there was one flip. The flip was in our direction. And, you know, the, the, the ironic thing about this is that the margin of victory was so high that it did not trigger Louisiana's recount mechanism in case any candidate didn't get more than 50%. But because the Republican candidate there got more than 50%, there was no need for a recount. So that election was decided almost a month ago. That was in the middle of October. And yet how fast we forget. 
news reports about Tuesday night's election were talking about, well, you had, uh, you know, Mississippi re re retain its uh, governor and uh, Kentucky retain its governor. And then they talk about, you know, Republican losses. Oh, we got two out of three. So, you know, a lot of this is like, okay, let's take a step back, not just go by the sound bites and the headlines. Let's start examining the data here. In Virginia, we had told you that there was a possibility we could get a trifecta. We got a, we had a Republican, um, we, we have had a Republican um, governor there, Republican House, Democrat Senate, but only by a very, very, very slim margin. And maybe it was a possibility to flip that Senate and then have the uh, another trifecta. Now, Republicans continue to have more trifectas around the country. We gained one with Louisiana, uh, more trifectas around the country than the Democrats have. Okay, that in itself should continue to be an encouraging thing. But the change in Virginia that happened, okay, the set the, the Republicans did not flip the Senate uh, to their control, but the House flipped from Republican control to Democrat, but not by any kind of earthquake margins. In fact, it was the smallest change that happened in the House in eight years. When you go back to, to the elections of 2015, you see that um, the margin was 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 uh, was similar. Right now, we had uh, we went from 52 Republicans to 48 Democrats in the House to 51 Democrats, 49 Republicans. We're not talking about. Remember, we're talking about a plus 10 state for Biden. Why didn't the Democrats do better? Why didn't they carry uh, these these races uh, the way Biden carried the state? Why were voters still evenly divided, even on consideration of the abortion issue and the proposal for a 15-week limit on the procedure? This wasn't kind of some kind of Democrat landslide by any means. So, again, take a close look at the actual detailed numbers for these things. 2023, if you take even a bigger step backwards and look at the culture wars, has brought us a lot of victories. Pride. Pride isn't doing so well. They proudly pushed their way into uh, Dodgers Stadium and other kinds of, of uh, nonsensical uh, antics over the past year. And you know what? Common sense culture pushed back. What happened to the boycotts? What happened with Bud Light? What happened with Target? What happened with, with a number of other companies that, that bought into this woke agenda? Well, they, they didn't do too well at the cash register. In education, what has been happening at school board meetings across the country this year? What about ESG, the environmental social governance? Big pushback against that, big rejection against that by various uh, uh, companies. 19 very down 19 different laws across the country protecting children from transgender surgery. What about the recent unanimous election of a very strong conservative House Speaker, third in line in the United States government, third highest government official? And when he's asked what his worldview is on various issues, he says, well, dust off your Bible, pick it up and read it. That's my worldview. You think 2023 has been a big step backwards? 
again, let's not fall into this knee-jerk over, overreaction uh, when some elections, sure, some elections here didn't go the, the way we would wa- have wanted them to go. But let's look especially at the abortion issue because you know that that's my full-time uh, area of work. And you know we've talked here on this program and even more on some of our other programs that we have on endabortion.tv that we had an important vote in Ohio. It wasn't a vote of our making. And again, this demonstrates a very simple principle. Those who set the terms of the debate win the debate. Those who set the question uh, win the question. It's It's very simple. If you put before the voters of Ohio or any other state in the nation, and I would argue even a place like California or New York, if you put before the voters a question like, I'm about to ask you, they will not pass it. He who sets the question, frames the question, wins the debate. Question. Medical textbooks on abortion describe the procedure as dismemberment and decapitation. Are you in favor of permitting in your state for this to happen to a baby in the womb who is healthy, being carried by a healthy mother, who can survive outside the womb in the sixth, seventh, or eighth month of pregnancy? Friends, the answer to that is going to be no. The American people, the people of Ohio, the people of New York, the people of California, name any state in the nation, go to any poll that you can find. The American people have never been in favor by any kind of majority of late-term abortion or abortion throughout pregnancy. And yet, in their demented minds, the left, the hardcore left abortion lobby, which has captured the Democrat Party, has started now in various states to try to insert into their constitutions a fake and invented right to unlimited abortion. And they lie about it. They make it sound like there are going to be some limitations, but then they put language in there which makes it legally and constitutionally impossible for there to be any limitations. They want abortion on demand throughout pregnancy. You really think that just because a deceptively worded um, uh, uh, initiative funded by to the tune of $35 million coming in from out of the state. You think that represents the views of people in Ohio when $35 million comes from outside the state to fund deceptive advertising where about $10 million was raised for efforts on the other side? I mean, once you have, as soon as you have to battle against a misinterpretation a misreading or a deceitful presentation of a ballot. And as soon as you have to start battling against what people think it means, you're already on the losing end of that equation. Right from step one. Here's what I want to challenge the other side. So this issue, in short, this issue one passed in Ohio, putting a, 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 a fake and invented right to abortion into the state constitution. If the other side really thinks that people are on their side, why don't they just introduce a bill? They've done that in other places. In fact, the legislature just passed a bill in Michigan. I was just there the other day for their March for Life. The legislature did pass a bill with unlimited abortion. But guess what happened? Guess what happened? Even some Democrats in the Michigan legislature said, wait, 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 wait. This goes too far. 
It's reasonable. This is a Democrat rep was saying this. It's reasonable. As Michigan law already provides that a woman who's going to have an abortion, who's likely going to be under great emotional pressure and confusion, should get information about the procedure, its risks, and its alternatives, and should be given 24 hours to think it over to make sure she makes the right decision. Because you abort that baby, that's kind of an irreversible decision, isn't it? With plenty of evidence that you end up having a lifetime of regret. 24 hours? What's that in the grand scheme of things? To think it over a little bit, maybe pray a little bit, consult with a couple of people, ponder the information that you might not have had before. So this Democrat rep said, you know, that sounds reasonable to me. The other side, as radical as they are, wanted to get rid of that provision of the law. They wanted to get rid of the prohibition on Medicaid funding of abortion in the state. They wanted to get rid of parental involvement. And the Democrat legislators had to back away from all of those things. And In other words, they had to back away from trying to negate those things. Those things are already in Michigan law. Parents need to be involved if it's a minor who wants to get an abortion. They have to consent first. 24-hour waiting period is, is required. Medicaid does not pay for abortions. And on and on it goes. So they passed the radical piece of legislation. At first, they wanted to get rid of those things, but they couldn't. They realized it wouldn't pass. They didn't have the vote, so they, they, they backed off. Now, they got rid of the clinic regulations clinic regulation. And this, of course, in and of itself is ridiculous. Why shouldn't you have regulations to increase the health and safety standards for the, for the mother? But they had to back away from those other things. What I'm pointing out to you is this. The other side doesn't want the legislative process, unless they're sure they can win. Because the legislative process then leads to stuff like this, where people start debating and having hearings and having conversations and they get lobbied and they have a time to consider what does this really mean? Within the case of a ballot initiative, you don't have that kind of consideration. It's soundbite voting. People are lied to and they said, oh, you know, unless you vote for this, you know, you're not going to have emergency medical care if, if, if something goes wrong in the pregnancy. Well, that's ridiculous. But, well, that's what they did in Ohio. They rammed this thing through. It doesn't even protect parental rights. So I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I believe in the dead-end rule. The dead-end rule. If you go down a road and you see signs that say it's a dead-end, but you ignore those signs, you're going to soon learn by personal experience that it's a dead-end. Simple as that. And so we, the pro-life movement, puts up the signs, the Republican Party, many of the candidates put up the sign saying, hey, don't go down that road of abortion. It's not good. First of all, it violates a, a fundamental right, the right to life. And secondly, it does not do any good for that mother. It harms her. As a matter of fact, it harms the whole family. But people ignore the signs. They find out by personal experience that it's a dead end. Now, that personal experience may be in the, in the act of getting an abortion, and we've got all kinds of people throughout the country who are suffering today. We have our whole Silent No More campaign. Go to abortiontestimonies.com. Read the testimonies. We have our Silent No More Awareness campaign, an army of voices that are speaking up about their experience of having had an abortion and how they suffer from it. Dead-end rule. Ignore the signs that say it's a dead end. You'll soon learn by personal experience. 
bitter experience, painful experience. But this also applies to the impact of a law or of a ballot initiative. What's going to happen in Ohio in the coming months? If parents end up saying, uh, oh, wait a second, um, how come I didn't, how come I wasn't told about my, my 15-year-old's abortion? She went ahead and had it without me even knowing. How can that possibly be? And what happens when they start realizing, oh, that's because a constitutional amendment was put in place assuring their right to do that without your involvement? It's going to be rebellion. You don't think there's going to be rebellion? You, don't, you, you think the people of Ohio are just great with just cutting parents out of the equation? It's the radical left that's great with that. Not the voters of Ohio. Oh, yeah. Then this, is not, this is not going to end well. People are not just going to say, oh, okay, I guess we have to accept the, the fact that now this is just uh, carte blanche for the other side. Well, the legislature has already pushed back. I have here a, a, a statement of members of the Ohio Assembly in regard to, this was issued yesterday, okay, in regard to this issue. Well, let me read this. Columbus, Ohio General Assembly members respond to issue one passage. Members of the Ohio General Assembly issued a statement Wednesday in response to the passage of Issue 1 during Tuesday's general election. Quote, unlike the language of this proposal, we want to be very clear. The vague, intentionally deceptive language of Issue 1 does not clarify the issues of life, parental consent, informed consent, or viability including partial birth abortion, but rather introduces more confusion. This initiative failed to mention a single specific law. We will do everything in our power to prevent our laws from being removed based upon perception of intent. We were elected to protect the most vulnerable in our state, and we will continue that work signed by a whole bunch of the representatives in Ohio, some of whom I know personally, and I thank them for their stance. But this is, you see what they're saying? It's like, not so fast. You want to take our pro-life? Ohio has many pro-life laws, many protective laws. In fact, Ohio, even though it's not in effect right now, passed a, a heartbeat bill protecting a baby from the time a heartbeat can, can be detected, which is about six weeks into the pregnancy, four weeks into the baby's life. The point I'm making is these legislators are saying not so fast. You're not going to just wipe these laws off the books. This initiative doesn't even mention a specific law. So we're going to take the stance that these laws are still on the books and you're not going to wipe them away just with some by guessing at the intent of this amendment. This is a good position for these people to take. You know, in Michigan, there was a similar proposal voted on last year. In fact, the March for Life there yesterday that I that I took part in was on the first anniversary of their constitutional amendment that took took place last year and on that very day a federal lawsuit was introduced by our general counsel here at Priests for Life and but but on behalf of some groups in Michigan such as the Michigan Right to Life pushing back against their constitutional amendment saying it violates the federal constitution and we'll go into that in more detail in the in the future. But it was saying, look, it de by it deprives adequate legal protection from the the women of Michigan 
against the harmful effects of abortion. So look, brothers and sisters, the bottom line is the Supreme Court has thrown out the idea that there is a constitutional right to abortion. And the reason they did that, even though Roe versus Wade said that there, there was, was that they looked at the history and they said, nowhere in the history of our federal constitution, and they pointed out, nowhere in the history of any of the state constitutions, that includes Michigan, that includes Ohio, nowhere in the history or interpretation or intent of the passage of any of those constitutions was a right to abortion ever asserted. Nowhere. This is a fake and invented right. People were deceived. They were lied to. This will not stand. Whether it's pushback from the legislature, pushback from the from, from federal lawsuits, or pushback just from the people who are going to say, enough, I, this is a dead end. Now I see it from experience. I'm not going along with this. And you know what? We are a strong pro-life movement. I've been in the movement long enough to remember, for example, 1992 was a dark moment for the movement. We thought that year that Roe v. Wade would be reversed. It looked like that's what the court was going to do. It wasn't even 20 years yet since that decision, and it looked like it was about to be overturned. And at the last minute, that didn't happen. The court reaffirmed Roe, albeit a little, little bit of arm's distance, and they dismantled a lot of it, but they, at its core, they reaffirmed it. Big, 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 big disappointment. And then a matter of months later, Bill Clinton, the abortion president, was elected. And then by the following year, he had put Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. You think that wasn't a dark time? It wasn't just one election. It was multiple big, high-level events. That made it look impossible to secure the right to life of the unborn. What did the movement do? What did we do? We pushed on. We kept educating. We kept speaking. We kept lobbying. We kept marching. We kept voting. We kept praying. We pushed on without being deterred. Because we knew two things. Number one, that there is no compromising or fooling around when it comes to the right to life. This is about the dismemberment and decapitation of a baby. And number two, we knew that in a cause like this, it is God himself who wins the victory and has already in Christ won the victory, as I was saying and praying before. We've been through dark days. 1992, then there was 2008. The election of Barack Obama, another abortion president. Dark election for the pro-life movement. And then he put two justices on the Supreme Court. And people are scratching their heads saying, how in the world can we turn this around? But we did, didn't we? We got that Roe v. Wade decision overturned because after every election, there's another election. After every Supreme Court justice, eventually there's another Supreme Court justice. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, it was the very justice that Clinton put on the court in 93, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who got replaced by President Trump putting, putting um, uh, on the court, uh, why is her name uh, skipping my mind right now, uh, who helped to overturn Roe v. Wade. This is 
This is how it works in America. One election always follows after another. And brothers and sisters, the brighter days always follow after the dark ones. Don't just look at these ballot initiatives. A narrative is being created on the other side that says, oh, the pro-life movement loses all these ballot initiatives. Oh, really? And you're going to ignore the legislative victories, political victories, and court victories? Going to ignore the fact that in 14 states, in fact, let me name them, Alabama, Arkansas, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, and West Virginia, babies are protected from abortion from their conception. We could hardly dream of this over all those, not just years, but decades of work. We were waiting to see what, when and where and how will we have the first abortion-free state. Now we got 14 of them. And that's from conception. Then we got other states that protect babies, that have increased the protection of babies since the Dobbs case. Arizona, Florida, Utah, Montana. Montana was one of those places where, oh, we lost that ballot initiative. Yeah? Well, since then, they passed 10 different measures restricting abortion. You think the will of the people of Montana wasn't expressed in that legislative activity? You think the will of the people of Ohio wasn't expressed in all the restrictions they've put on abortion? To think that this movement is only on a losing end of this is ridiculous. It's contrary to the basic facts. Montana, Iowa, Ohio, Wyoming, Wisconsin. We see protections increasing here in Florida. We, two years in a row after Dobbs, we got pro-life protections put in place. Two years in a row. Stronger and stronger. And then we have court victories. Not only these states passing laws, some judges go in and then they block the laws. But as those laws get, as those rulings get appealed and as judges start to get used to the fact that now Dobbs is precedent, not Roe, we have court victories upholding these strongly protective pro-life laws. Court victories in Indiana, in South Carolina, in Georgia, in Kentucky, in Louisiana, in Nebraska, in North Carolina. Are we going to ignore all this progress? and buy into the line that the left wants to feed us. Oh, abortion is a losing issue. And then some politicians and some consultants buy into that, and they start running away from the abortion issue. Are you serious? Do we really, on an issue as fundamental as life itself, want to put ourselves in a position that we say, oh, well, we can't fight for this anymore. Are you kidding? What is more fundamental than the right? Mentioned in our declaration itself, the right to life. What is more fundamental? What right do you have if you don't have that one? Friends, this is not something we run away from. Oh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be okay now with killing babies just because uh, a bunch of people said it was okay. Is that what makes you say it's okay? Not to fight for and advocate for those babies, but on a more fundamental level, you don't have reason. You do not have reason to panic or be discouraged, all these victories, legislative, political, and judicial, overshadow victories in these ballot initiatives by the other side that simply reflect that they lie better 
then we tell the truth. That's all it means. They're better at lying. Of course they are. They got more practice. We don't lie. We tell the truth. And we've got to get better at telling the truth. And we will. Brothers and sisters, uh, that's all the time we have for today. Let's go back into prayer and ask the Lord to keep our nation secure and on the right track for freedom and for life. Father, we thank you for your your grace and for giving us the, the many victories that we have. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness in dark days and years of this great movement on behalf of life. The people did not lose faith either in you nor in our American system of government, but that we continued voting and we continued lobbying and we continued using the courts and we continued using the legislatures. We continued using persuasion. We continued using our First Amendment rights of expression. We continued, Lord, on and on and on, without compromising, slowing down, stopping, or turning in the other direction. We continued, and therefore therefore we overcame so many obstacles. And we overcome the ones that are in our path right now. Lord God, we will not shy away from the most fundamental moral question of our day. Give us the grace. Give us the perseverance. Bless all our legislators. Bless judges who know and understand the right way to judge. Bless candidates. Let them not grow silent on this issue or call for some kind of compromise on the most absolute and clear moral imperative we have to protect the youngest children. We pray now for all these things in the words that Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We'll be sending you a lot more information on what we talked about here tonight. Stay tuned to all our broadcasts and to our main website, and abortion.us. Pro-life leader Frank Pavone here. Thanks for joining us. Tell others about our program and let's continue working for the greatness of America. Priests for Life, saving lives for over 30 years. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.